If we want to avoid being a troll, and, and, and we're defining troll as that person that is just constantly negative, constantly critical, even the best of circumstances, they can find something wrong, they can find something to complain about. If we want to avoid being that person, we have to admit that we face certain challenges in overcoming a tendency toward the negative. Uh, researchers call this negativity bias, that, that humans, to some degree or another, it, it, maybe it's harder in some than others, but all of us, to a degree, have what researchers call a negativity bias, which generally is explained as humans give greater psychological weight to negative experiences and negative emotions than they give to positive experiences and positive emotions. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, we tend to remember the negative longer and more vividly than we tend to remember positive things. Just humans, if we're not taking control of the way our mind works, that's where we'll gravitate. For example, if you, uh, if you work all day and five really great things happen while you're at work, five great interactions with, with clients or successful transactions, just five really good things happen, but there's that one difficult conversation, that one thing you felt like just kind of was a failure, it didn't work out right, the, the deal with the client just didn't go well. On the drive home, guess which one you're most likely to think about? You're most likely to still be working around that one failure. Even though you had five good things, that one negative experience tends to stay with us longer. We tend to internalize criticism in a way that we don't internalize praise. Again, so sort of same analogy today. If, if you get five positive comments about you or what you do or how you look or how you parent, like five positive things, but somebody says something kind of negative about you or the way you look or how you parent or your kids or just one little shot, one little veiled little negative comment about you, guess which one you're probably going to be working around in your brain for the next two days. It's not all the positive things. It's not all the great things that people said about you. You're going to be thinking about that one piece of criticism, that one negative comment that you received. This is one of the reasons news broadcasts focus on negative stories. If we surveyed people, everyone would say, I wish there was more positive news. I wish there were more heartwarming stories. All of us would say that, but we tend to engage more with negative content. We have more things to say about. We have a stronger response to negative stories. And the news has figured this out, right? They've figured out if they give us something to argue about or be mad about or be frustrated about, then we'll talk about that and we'll post about that and we'll retweet the article and we'll make comments. So we will engage negative stories to a higher degree than we will engage with positive stories. And, and news only cares about our engagement, right? Because that looks good to their advertisers. They've figured out there is a greater weight to negative experiences and negative stories than positive ones. It's one of the reasons that we will always have negative campaigning in politics. 
it's, it's one of the reasons there will always be attack politics and there will always be pointing fingers and how terrible the other side is because we all have this bias, we have this temptation where we would rather say something negative about the person we don't like than say something positive about the person we do like. Just scroll through your social media today. Right, just scroll through and see positive versus negative. Uh, when it comes to politics, just think back to the last election. Right? What a, a vast wasteland that was, right? Just Armageddon all through this last election of belittling and sarcasm and cynicism and attacking. And if you're not convinced, just wait to the one that's coming up. All right? We're starting another one right now, and it's all going to be attacking and negative. And they know you're going to repost it. We're going to repost it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to say how terrible the opponent is, the person we don't like is. More often than we will say how great our person is. We have this tendency, this negativity bias to notice and engage with negativity more than, than positive. This affects relationships. John Gottman's done a lot of research and a lot of writing on marriage. He has uh, the terms that he discusses as uh, positive override sentiment versus negative override sentiment. The way we view our marriage and we view our relationship, either positively or negatively. Other researchers have determined that in a healthy marriage, there is a five-to-one ratio between positive interactions and conversations and negative interactions and conversations. For every one negative interaction, for every one negative conversation, a healthy marriage needs five positive interactions to stay in the healthy mode. That, that's what negativity bias is. There is a greater weight to what is wrong than to what is Right, some researchers put the number at three times as much. We put three times as much emotional weight on negative occurrences as we do on positive. So, so that's one thing we have to admit. If we're trying to not be critical, we have to admit, I have this tug towards the negative and towards the critical. The second thing today that I want to suggest we have to admit and we have to be mindful of is we have to understand the power of negative thoughts to build on themselves. For one negative thought to lead to another negative thought to lead to another negative thought. In some ways, our thinking, whether positive or negative, trains our brain to move in a certain direction. In whichever direction we're moving, our brain is going to start moving in that direction in the next set of circumstances. So every time we respond negatively and critically, we're essentially paving the path for where our brain's going to go in the next relationship, in the next conversation. It's, a, it's like we're building a train track as we're traveling it, and we're laying tracks ahead so that... For every negative thought, I'm building a track that's taking me farther in the negative direction. For every positive thought, I'm building a track that's going to make it easier for me to see things from a positive perspective the next time. Our brain builds these pathways and reinforces the direction of our thinking. It's similar to the idea that we tend to see whatever it is we're looking for. We tend to notice 
Whatever it is we're looking for, I know this is a well-used uh, analogy, but it's the best one uh, that's out there, so I'm going to use it. Uh, when, when you're shopping for a new car, when you're trading in, you're upgrading, you, you need a new car, uh, most of us have uh, at least a little bit of a desire to want a unique car. We don't want a car like everybody else. And so you go online, you start shopping, you, you go to the dealership, and you find the car that you love, and it's not like anybody else's car, right? or the color. You find a color that you've never seen on the road before, and you're thinking, I'm going to buy this car in this color, and I'm going to be the only one driving. I'm going to have a one-of-a-kind, unique vehicle. And from the time you leave the car dealership until you get home, you see 20 cars exactly like the one you just bought. Now, they were there the whole time. It's just that you weren't looking for them. Your brain wasn't trying to notice them. But once you bought that car, you saw that car, you bought it, it's now on your mind and suddenly you start seeing it everywhere. Criticism and negativity is, is similar. When I train my brain to always see what's wrong, I always see what's wrong. When I've taught my brain to be critical of every person I meet or every circumstance I'm in or every organization that I'm related to. When I've taught my brain to see the negative, my brain sees the negative because that's where I've trained it. And, and, and some of us, in admitting, in this, this we're admitting reality now, some of us have to admit we've been building that train track for a long time. We've been laying piece after piece of critical snarky, cynical, sarcastic thoughts and comments for a really, really long time. Now, the, the, the other problem is almost everything is more difficult for me to see in me than it is for me to see in you. I see many things clearly in you that I have a really hard time detecting in myself. And you're the same way. You can see things in other people that you don't see in yourself. So today, we're going to look at this in some other people, right? We'll talk about other people before we talk about us. The classic example in the Bible, and really the most extensive example, is the negativity of the children of Israel, the Hebrew children, as they wandered in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. And some of us know the story. Maybe you're not familiar with the story. Uh, God's people end up in Egypt. That's its own story. They grow and they grow and they multiply over hundreds of years. And the Egyptian leaders then become afraid that they're going to overthrow the Egyptian kingdom. And so they enslave all of the Hebrew children, make them build bricks and, and work them hard. It's a, it's a bit of a miserable existence. God steps in after hundreds of years, and says, we're going to leave Egypt. My people are going to go to the promised land because I have a place that I've prepared for them. And he sends Moses to be his spokesperson and to, and to lead them out of Egypt. And there's a whole big process through all of that. But it, it, eventually, Moses and the people leave Egypt, headed to the promised land. And in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 14, there's this incredible moment of the children of Israel leaving Egypt and then Pharaoh's army comes chasing after them. 
And God puts this huge cloud in between his people and the Egyptians. And that's when Moses parts the Red Sea and and they walk across on dry land. And then once they get over, then Pharaoh's army, the cloud lifts and they run into the the parted waters, and then God closes up the waters and kills all of the Egyptian army to protect his people. So this incredible scene, this miracle that God works right in front of his people. And then in Exodus chapter 15, they have this worship service. Miriam leads it, and she's singing, playing the tambourine. and um, They have this incredible worship service. God, you are so great. God, you are so awesome and fantastic. Then, at the end of all of that, the end of chapter 15, verses 23 and 24, the Bible says, When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And you got to keep this in context. And you got to think about negativity bias. They just walked through the sea on dry ground. God just put a cloud in between them and Pharaoh's army. They just saw Pharaoh's army destroyed by God's miraculous work. They just had a huge praise service for God, but now they don't have anything to drink and they're grumbling and they're complaining. God responds graciously. God Fixes the water problem for them. Next chapter, chapter 16, verse 2, we read. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They weren't dramatic at all. I can't believe that we followed you and now we're all going to die. We should have just stayed back in Egypt. This is terrible. Okay, they've been freed from slavery. They had seen God perform miracle after miracle. And every chance they got, they complained. There's no water. Now, there's nothing to eat. And God says in verse 4 of chapter 16, and, and I don't know what his attitude was. I know what my attitude would have been. I don't know what his attitude was, but he says, I'm going to rain down food from heaven. Now, I would, have been a, I would have been a little edgy when I made that comment. I don't know if God was edgy or not, but he says in verse 4, I, I'm just going to rain down food from heaven. I got you. I can take care of this. I can handle this. You don't have to worry about it. Chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, we've encountered this before, right? Two chapters ago, we had a water problem. God fixed it. One chapter ago, we had a food shortage. God fixed it. Now's the next water problem. And so we would expect their response to be, God, we know you're going to take care of this again. Like, you performed this miracle. We know we can count on you. Obviously, that's not what they did. There was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Line up all the miracles that have just happened. And we're complaining again about water, which God has already provided once. He's fully capable of doing this. 
The scriptures at this point doesn't say they grumbled or they complained. It says they quarreled. Interesting that the continuum of negativity grows in intensity. The longer I'm critical and negative, the more volume I have. The more worked up I start getting. They weren't just complaining. They They weren't just grumbling. Now they're quarreling. Now there's conflict. And you've probably seen this in people that you know. You, you've probably seen that person is just negative and negative and nobody's listening so they get louder and they keep saying it over and over and then they start pointing fingers and then they start picking sides and getting people on their side so this conflict erupts. That's what we're seeing. Negativity doesn't stay in its own zone very well. It doesn't stay in its own lane, we like to say. Negativity doesn't just pick a spot and say, all right, I'm just I'm going to be right here. And my negative level is always going to be at this point, And I'm only going to be negative about these things. Negativity has a way of swerving into all the lanes, growing into all the lanes, getting louder, getting more aggressive, raising the conflict level. It doesn't just stay in one spot. Um, Numbers chapter 11. Now, the people, different, different scenario, same group of people in the wilderness, Numbers 11. Now the, comp- now, the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. So now it's not water, and it's not food, and it's not water again. It's not really anything specific at this point. Their life's just tough, right? They're just complaining about, my life's so hard. There's, uh, there's so many bad things that happen in my life. I, I'm just the victim. Everybody's against me. Nobody likes me. I think I'll eat some worms. Right? That, just that whole deal. My life is really hard. I can't even put my finger on what it is. My life's just always so hard. That's where they were, complaining about their hardships in general. And the narrator specifically says, they were saying this in the hearing of the Lord. In other words, God could hear them. That's an interesting phrase because God can always hear us, right? It's just in this case, the narrator wanted us to be sure we didn't miss this part. God was listening. When they complained about the water, God was listening. Complained about the food, God was listening. Complained about the water again, God was listening. Complained about the hardships, God was listening. And here's God's response. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So so God fires a shot across the bow, right? God says, I I need you to know I hear all of this stuff. I I need you to know this needs to stop. Like, I, I could respond very dramatically to what's happening So he sends fire. The Bible doesn't say anybody got killed, anybody got injured. God was just saying, you need to correct the course that you're on. Here's one of the realities about trolls and critical people. Often critical people don't make changes even when there's consequences for their negativity. There's some sort of consequence. Like, They said the wrong thing to the wrong person finally, and there was pushback. Somebody stood up to them. Somebody called them out about that thing they posted or the the 
office email they sent out, somebody fired back. They got called into a meeting, and, and, and their superior said, look, this needs to stop. You're doing this and this. We know it's coming from you. Even when there's that pushback, that consequence, people who are used to responding negatively typically find some way to blame somebody else. They typically find some reason why this is somebody else's fault. So not even a consequence helps sometimes. So here's God. People complain. Fire from heaven. The very next verse. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said... If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Here's what you'll find about trolls and negative people. Trolls can't be happy in the present. All of these complaints, the the children of Israel are constantly saying, it used to be better when, now they were slaves, but in their mind now, yesterday was so much better than today. The last circumstances where there was so so many better benefits then than there are now. Negative people have trouble being happy today. So they're constantly saying, well, you know, my previous job, I had this thing, and it was so much better then. Well, my previous boss, my previous benefits were were so much better than my current ones. The the last place we lived was a great place. The last vacation we took was so much better than this vacation. The last city we lived in, the last house we lived in, the last church I went to, the last thing I was at, it was so much better than now. Now. And so for some critical people, now is never good enough compared to back then. For others, now is never good enough compared to what's going to happen. My life is going to be so much better when I get the next job. My my life is going to be so much better when I'm in the next relationship. My life is going to be so much better when I make X amount of money. But the problem is, they're never happy now. They're never content with circumstances now. And, and the truth is, if you dropped in anywhere in their timeline, in the past or in the future, wherever you happen to drop in, they would be complaining at that point. Even though they say, well, the past was so much better, but if you rewind the tape and go back to the past, they were complaining about that time too. Trolls have difficult, a difficult time being content now, well, the people in the wilderness aren't done. In chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron are complaining about Moses' wife, so now it's becoming personal. In Numbers 16.41, the Bible says, The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Fast forward to Numbers chapter 20, there's another water issue. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock 
should die here. And then the big one back in Numbers chapter 14, God had brought them up to the promised land like He promised to. He's going to give them the promised land. They get right up to the promised land. They send in the, ten, the 12 spies. Ten of them come out with negative reports. We'll never defeat them. The people are too big. They have warriors over there. We don't want to go in there. Two of them come back and say, no, God's already given us the promised land. We should move forward. We should do this. And here's the reaction of the people. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Have you noticed that critical people aren't very creative We're getting the same complaints almost every time we read about the children of Israel in the wilderness. They want to go back to Egypt. Life was so much better back then. It's almost like they copy and paste their complaints from one circumstance to another. We're just going to copy and take that and we're just going to run it again. It doesn't take a lot of creativity to be a critic. As a matter of fact, it's my theory that the easiest thing in the world to be is a critic. Like the easiest thing to be in the world is a complainer. Because you don't have to do anything. Like you don't have to be involved in solving anything. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to sweat. You don't have to work. You don't have to volunteer. You you don't have to be on scene. You just kind of sit back and complain about what everybody else is doing. The easiest thing in the world is to be a critic. The easiest thing in the world is to sit back on social media and make negative comments about something somebody else said. Easiest thing in the world. Doesn't take a lot of creativity. Takes very little thought. Now, here's, after all of that, here's my question. Do you want to hang out with these people? Like, any of you want to party with these people? You want to go on vacation with this group? Like, go to the beach? Because if you do, you know what they're going to do. You know what they're going to say. The water's too hot, the water's too cold, water's too rough, there's not enough waves, the sand is wrong, stop tracking stuff in the house, the food wasn't good, food was too greasy, they didn't have the things I liked. Anybody want to go on vacation with these people? Anybody want to move into their neighborhood like you and all of them in one subdivision? Work on the HOA with them, like you and these people on the HOA. Anybody want to go to church with these people? (laughs) No. Of course not. When you look at somebody, a group of people, and they have complained and complained, and everything is negative and everything is critical, we step back and go, I don't want to be around those people. The problem is, it's easy for us to see it in them. And not as easy for us to see it in us. It's easy for us to look at somebody else and go, like, every time I'm around them, they're complaining about something. It's much more difficult to hear that coming out of my mouth every time. And not only is it more difficult to hear, I can always justify my complaints to myself. Oh, but, but this is different. Right? You ever said that? Ever thought that? Oh but, this is, oh, but this is really a problem. 
oh, I really know the right way they should be doing it, so I need to tell them. We have a way of justifying it in us, even though we see it clearly in them. But the dangers are the same. The dangers are the same for them as it is for me. And let me just mention a couple of those dangers. One, maybe the biggest one, the grumbling of the Israelites kept them from getting to the place where God was leading them. God had this plan for their future. God had a direction. God had a place that He was trying to take them. A land flowing with milk and honey, which is a phrase we don't ever use, but back then it meant really good stuff. Like, this is going to be a great stuff. You're going to be satisfied. You're going to be fulfilled. I have this place for you, and I want to get you there. But their grumbling prevented them from getting there. Sometimes we say, when we talk about our complaining, we say, you know, I just need to get it out. I mean, I just need to vent. I just need to get it out. But if you're consistently getting it out, here's a question to ask yourself. What if my getting it out is keeping God from bringing me in? What if me getting out all of my negativity and all of my criticism and all of my venting is what's keeping God from moving me to the future place that He wants for me? Maybe God has has something new for your life. Maybe God has a destination, I think He does, where He wants to move you in your future. And He wants to bless you and He wants to give you good things. But the fact that I'm constantly complaining is keeping God from getting me to where He wants to get me. This is exactly what happened to the Hebrew children. God wanted to move them in to the promised land, and it was their grumbling and their complaining that kept them out. Another thought, another warning. My attitude is defining my legacy. It's defining how people are going to think of me and remember me. And I can ignore that and, and I can pretend like I'm justified and everybody else is wrong, but I'm right. I, I can do that if I want. But eventually, that is establishing what people think when they think of me. It's defining my legacy. A couple of places later on in the Bible, this group of people is remembered and they're remembered as a warning of what not to be like. Two examples, Psalm chapter 95, verses 8 and 9. The psalmist says, Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Now, Massa and Meribah, those are the two, two of the places where there were water problems. And God miraculously provided water. But what, what they remember about that generation is they just complained. They short-circuited what God was trying to do in them. Don't be like them is what the psalmist is saying. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. Be different. Don't have the attitude that they had. Later on, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. As has just been said... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. 
Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And then he goes on to specifically talk about the time in the wilderness. Don't be like them, he says. Hundreds of years later in Psalms, hundreds of years later in the book of Hebrews, this group is remembered. Their legacy is recalled. And this is the legacy. Don't be like them. All they did is complain. All they did is grumble. They missed what God was trying to do in their lives because all they did was complain. Now, there's a deeper issue at work. And and both of these writers mention it. See, a critical spirit is a sign we have a heart problem. That's how both of them start. Don't harden your hearts. The problem wasn't simply the words that came out of their mouths. It wasn't simply what they posted. It wasn't what they tweeted or the comments that they made online. It wasn't the specifics of what they said. The deeper problem was there was a heart problem. And the more critical they became, the harder their heart became. The more negative they became, the more of an edge they had to them. The more people sort of backed off, the more people tiptoed around them. Felt like they were always walking on glass, just going to be real careful around this person. Their negativity had translated into a hard heart, a cynical, dismissive, bitter heart. And both of these authors say, don't be like that. Don't let... This world that we live in that is so negative and critical about so many things, don't let that get inside of you and cause you to have a hard heart. The the writer of Hebrews, when he's summing all of this up, he takes it even a little bit further. He says, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The underlying problem with the grumbling and complaining was they didn't trust God. The underlying problem of them not wanting to move into the promised land that God had promised them, they didn't trust God. And their complaining and their grumbling was spilling over from a heart that just didn't trust God. If we're going to get to the bottom of why we view things cynically, ultimately at the bottom of it is going to be we just don't trust God with that thing. And so I feel like I have to take charge of it and give my two cents, and I have to let them know they're wrong because I don't trust God to work that out. And whatever environment we're in, when we feel the need to constantly share our opinion, to constantly criticize Really what we're saying is, I don't trust God to handle this. So I need to handle it. So here's where we are. We all have a pull. We all have a tendency to be negative. Negativity bias. We all have that to some degree. With every thought and every word and every choice, we're reinforcing the way we see the world. Ultimately, that's going to shape our legacy. That's going to determine how God can lead us forward or whether God's not going to be able to lead us forward to what He wants for us. And it all comes back to whether I trust Him or not. 
Let me, let me just add. Moving away from negativity and criticism is, is not something you can do all by yourself. I mean, you can, you can watch your words. Right? You, you can try to comment less and post less and email less. And you, I mean, you can build some discipline in. But changing our heart is a work of God's Spirit through Jesus. And all of us are helpless to some degree in changing that part of us apart from Christ. And so I don't want you to leave and think, well, i got to put some discipline. Yeah, maybe you do. i got to watch what I say. Maybe you do. That helps. But what changes us from the inside out is knowing Jesus. Trusting God's plan through Christ for our forgiveness and salvation. And if you haven't done that, that's the first step. Like giving your life, trusting your life over to Christ, that He's the Savior of the world who died for you and rose again, pay for our sins. And then allowing Jesus and the Holy Spirit to make our hearts sensitive, to control our tongue because we don't always do that, to work against this negativity bias, to give us supernatural strength to live differently from what we see in the world. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would be at work in us. We are surrounded by, influenced by, shaped by a world of cynicism and bitterness and negativity. Even in our own hearts, we find it easy to point out the faults of others, to point out the problems of others. But God, I pray that we would not limit where you're taking us in the future because we continue to complain in the present. I pray that we would not miss the good things that you want to give us in our future because of our negative attitude in the present. Help us to dig deep into our heart to find where our lack of trust in God is showing itself as cynicism and negativity and sarcasm. And let us speak words of life, not words of death, words that bring hope and healing and peace and joy and life. May our mouths, may our heart be full of those words. I pray it in Jesus' name.